Welcome back to the Tequila Twine Podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Oman. Um, we got a news-packed uh, uh, episode this week. There's just kind of a ton of ton of transactions and stuff uh, going down, especially towards uh, the back half of this week to mix in with all the solid NBA action. And, of, and of course, uh, as much drama as you could you could ask for, as always, you know, this is the NBA. Uh, there's never n- no drama. There's always got some uh, something happening on the court, and we'll get to that um, by the end. But to kind of kick things off, going to start off with the uh, the Trevor Ariza trade saga. So before we get into the final details of the trade that was, in fact, um, agreed to, I'm going to start with uh, the saga that went down Friday night. Um where the Suns, the Grizzlies, and the Wizards seemed to agree to a three-team deal. The Wizards would be getting Trevor Ariza, a 2020 Grizzlies second rounder, and a conditional 2019 Grizzlies second rounder. The Grizzlies would be getting Kelly Oubre, and the Suns would be getting Wayne Selden, Austin Rivers, and Brooks. And the reason why I just say Brooks is because that is where um, the drama and confusion uh, cropped up. Uh, Woj was kind of breaking all this news with Shams right behind him, um, and there were some local guys, uh, local beat guys, kind of confirming all the information as it came out. And what it seemed to happen was the teams, uh, what looked like from what Woj said is the teams are all kind of negotiating. The Wizards were kind of um, the main negotiator. Um, they were talking to the Grizzlies and the Suns separately and kind of passing information back and forth is what it seemed like was happening. And what was said was basically like the, the Suns were going to get Wayne Selden, Austin Rivers, and Brooks. And when the Grizzlies said Brooks, they meant Marshawn Brooks, um, one of their uh, players, and not Dylan Brooks, another one of their players. Um, big difference there. Dylan Brooks is in his second year um, out, of, out of Oregon. He's been really solid for the Grizzlies. He started a lot of last year and has kind of been a guy who's consistently starts or plays heavy minutes at the wing. Marshawn Brooks is a deeper reserve who is still a talented player, but obviously doesn't have the prominence in the Grizzlies rotation and um, is not as young of a prospect, which is with a high of a long-term ceiling. He's already 30. He's a little bit older. Obviously, if you're the Suns, you want the better of the two, which is Dylan Brooks. If you're the Grizzlies, you would like to give up the worst of the two, Marshawn Brooks. And so... We have this just kind of intense drama play out over, you know, just under an hour type span on Friday night where tech, where tweets are coming fast and furious. There's obviously jokes. Everything's going down. And by the end of it, the, the deal was dead in the water because after agreeing, the Suns agreeing to what they thought was a trade where they were going to get Selden, Austin Rivers, and Dylan Brooks, they weren't going to back off that. The Grizzlies had agreed to a deal where they would only send out Selden and uh Marshawn Brooks, and they weren't going to budge off that. Dylan Brooks was not someone they were willing to deal um, in, in in the terms of the trade, and so the trade died right then and there. And um, I think this is kind of just just wild um, from a perspective of how does this kind of mix up happen? How do these teams not directly talk to each other and directly confirm things? Um, from the outside looking in, it certainly kind of seems patently ridiculous that a trade like this would be agreed to and have a trade sco- trade call scheduled at the league and prepared to go over this and kind of finalize this trade. And then them, them have only been referred to this player as Brooks, his last name, rather than Dylan Brooks or Marshawn Brooks or, or, or some combination of names so everyone knew who was being talked about. Um, I think... Um, it seems a little, a little bit of a, a light of incompetence. Um, you know, the Grizzlies are a solid team, but the Wizards and the Suns have had their share of sh- 
struggles, especially lately, and I'll kind of get into it more with Ernie Grunfield later. The Wizards GM, the Suns' new GM is, is James Jones. He's kind of learning the ropes. Maybe he, you know, um, and so that could be a mistake there. Uh, the Grizzlies GM, Chris Wallace, was kind of quoted uh, Saturday morning as being uh, exceptionally disappointed that this trade fell apart and didn't go down, and how this was this is kind of ridiculous. And I and I agree. I mean. I do think that I, I, I have had the experience of working in a basketball uh, for a basketball team at Auburn, and I think what that kind of gave me gives me an idea is that this something like this definitely could happen. Um, uh, it's not a shot at the, the guys I worked for. It's just I think when you're around basketball enough, you kind of realize that sometimes minor details, while I don't, for me at least, uh, the name of the player who you w- will be trading or acquiring is not really a minor detail and something that needs to be fleshed out. Stuff like that, uh, I've definitely seen stuff like that kind of get get lost in the shuffle sometimes, in the moves and stuff, whether we're traveling or going somewhere and just having small things kind of get left behind. And um, to reiterate, I don't think it's a small thing. It's clearly a big deal. This trade didn't go down. The Grizzlies don't have Kelly Oubre on their team. They're standing pat, which they're probably still fine with. They're still competing for the playoffs in the Western Conference. But if you're the Grizzlies, getting a young asset like Kelly Oubre um, would have been exceptionally exciting, um, and not having that is a disappointment. But um, they don't, you know, just no longer being in the trade is 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 not as bad as if they had gone through the trade and lost a better prospect or whatever. But still, um, I definitely could see something like this where there's not a lot of communication and back and forth and all that, um, and that's kind of how you how you uh, lose something like this. I think the crazier thing is, as this was all going down, the Wizards had just finished a game. Uh, the Grizzlies were in the middle of playing a game and towards the end of their games, and the Suns, the Suns were just about to start a game, which kind of adds this whole new wrinkle to things, um, because when uh, coaches and people were asked about this, I think Igor Kokoshkov of the Suns were asked about this, and they're like, oh, what do you think of all this? And I think, you know, uh, the snippet I saw always said something along the lines of, you know, they always consult me before they make a move. That seems to be a little bit of a stretch considering like they were about to make this move on friday night like right before your game was played and i don't know it seems a little ridiculous crazy to me that a a coach would be you know minutes before tip-off would be negotiating a deal rather than this just being a gm type situation but it shows you kind of uh the business level of the league and how high up the league goes and that you know despite what's happening on the could be happening on the court at any moment um the gms and the management are are always uh, negotiating to make a deal um, obviously, there'd been rumors that Ariza was getting ready to be to be moved, and uh, that the Lakers were interested, but there's nothing the Suns wanted out of the Lakers, and that the Wizards were also desperate to get Ariza, and so that's how we kind of ended up with this deal. Um, I still think it's something crazy to just kind of look back on, and um, it's going to be one of the wilder things up there with like what happened when uh, DeAndre Jordan committed to the Mavs, and then kind of got held hostage in his house by his Clippers teammates, and ended up switching his commitment. It's one of those things that um, honestly, um, it could it feels like it could only happen in the NBA, and it's hard to believe if you don't kind of experience live and firsthand just because of the craziness of the situation and everything went down. But this happened, um, to, you know everything fell apart no longer do we have this deal but a deal ultimately did get done um saturday where the wizards went ahead and said all right well we'll just send out kelly Oubre and austin rivers in exchange for trevor reza directly with the suns no third team involved uh no picks involved either which makes this tough um i'm very much about uh it's hard to judge a deal uh especially day of deal or day after deal because we got to see how these players play for the rest of the season we kind of have to see how things happen especially if there's picks involved we have to see what those picks turn into 
um, because there's no picks involved, we can kind of we can we are able to uh, get into some deeper analysis kind of right off the bat with this deal. But still, when you look at it, um, I I personally it does not look very good for the Wizards. Um, yes, Ariza is a good player, but he's kind of looked a shell of his former self in. Uh, in uh, Phoenix so far this season, he doesn't look good. But you have to um, kind of, you have to kind of balance that with the fact of how disheveled Houston has looked so far this season without Ariza there, and how um, that can be an important thing to note. But still, with that, you know, you hope Ariza plays well um, and kind of figures it out as the season goes on and, and and works out for Washington because of what they've kind of invested to get him get him out there. I mean, when you when you give up Kelly Oubre, and Oubre is going into um, restricted free agent, but Oubre has been solid at times this season. He's looked better than Otto Porter, um, and that's, you know, that's pretty good. And and looks like uh, he's got a pretty bright future in the NBA, but yes, he is going to come up with a restricted agency. He is going to want more money, and that's significantly going to hurt uh, the Wizards' payroll as they're already strapped for cash because of the big deals that they've shelled out for Wall and Beal and Porter. But still, this is just this is another situation where the Wizards are kind of dealing. I mean, Austin Rivers, I haven't talked about him much. I'm not the biggest Austin Rivers guy, but I, I think he does kind of fit in Phoenix because um, they do need another guard and he can work very well as a guy who can run the offense and run pick and roll, but is also can also function as an off guard next to Devin Booker. And so he might be kind of a perfect pairing for Booker. But still when you so I mean he's going to be a good addition, which makes the trade even worse for the Wizards. But at the face of it, when you're just when you're sending out Kelly Oubre, who's young, he's got a ways to grow, but he's he's got the skills there. He's going to be a solid player for years to come. For Ariza, who is on a one-year deal, he's aging. He's already 33, but he's in, been in the league for a while. He came in young. He's got a lot of miles on him. And I mean, this is a very much what seems to be a win-now move for the Wizards, for a Wizards team that doesn't have that high of a ceiling right now. I mean, yes, they've got a ton of talent and can compete in the playoffs when they put it all together, but, but with all the turmoil that they've gone through this season, it seems tough that you would kind of make this deal now and you would make it in a way that doesn't look great for your team in general. I mean, I I wrote a blog post on Tickle Twine's website, and I've talked about it before, how I'm not... I'm not very on board with Grunfeld's tender tenure in the Wizards. He's been there over 10, 15 years, um, and he's just he, he consistently doesn't make solid moves. Now, with that in mind, he has kind of put together teams that have been successful, but that's mainly because he's gotten in, he's gotten two number three picks that have turned into Bradley Beal and Otto Porter, and a number one pick that turned into John Wall. And when you are given that, it's hard to not um, draft a talent and build a contender. But it's the small moves outside of that. When you look at all the moves of his tenure, n- not one single we've talked about this before, but not one single move is a terrible franchise breaking move. But when you couple them all together, it's a death by a thousand cut situation. Is this is just another move that kind of fits that role? Now, they could repackage and redeal Ariza at the trade deadline and, and, and do something with that. But as of right now, I, I cannot, if I'm a Wizards fan, I cannot be happy with this move. I cannot look at my phone, see this notification, and be like, oh, wow, this is this is a great move for us, or even this is a good move, or even, okay, I'm okay with this move. This is a, a situation where I got to look down and be like, wow, this is not what I want to see. Um, if you think that they can compete even with their current roster, I don't know if Ariza is enough of an upgrade over Ubre to also justify sending another asset out uh, and getting nothing back in the way of first-round picks. 
um, if you think that they should kind of re refocus and play for the future, um, and that this kind of iteration of the team has run its course, then this is the worst move you could make because you're trading away youth for age and wow, Ariza isn't expiring and you don't have to resign him next year and that gives you cat flexibility that Ubre would not give you. Um, you kind of only assume that's the way you want to go if you think you're one player away and I think that's a hard argument to make. With the Wizards, they certainly have the talent to be one player away, but their chemistry issues, um, their bench depth has always been an issue, is, are not there to be one player away. And I think a good a, a good guy who summarized this pretty well on Twitter was Patrick Harabi H. Ruby, um, however that's pronounced. Um, he kind of he tweeted a picture breakdown that he's been kind of keeping track of of the twenty of twenty five draft picks that Grunfield has made, traded, acquired, whatever during his tenure, and what they've gotten out of it. And those twenty five picks don't count the one the number one pick that was used on John Wall and the two number threes three picks that were used on Bradley Beal and Otto Porter. And instead, it just kind of goes through a bunch of other picks and what happened to them and what the Wizards have got, gotten out of it. And kind of the ultimate, uh, the ultimate decision that you see that is made um, from all this is of these twenty five picks, uh, Grunfeld Ernie Grunfeld has has managed to produce three assets: Kelly Oubre. Uh, Tony Brown and uh, Tomas Sadoransky, and that's a pretty bad return. I'm sorry, that's tro- yeah, Tony Brown, um, and that's just a pretty tough return for the. Or no, that's not uh, Tony Brown. That's Troy Brown. My apologies um, for saying that wrong. But so out of these 25 a- 25 picks, he's gotten three assets: Ubre, Troy Brown, and Thomas Sadoransky. And now after Saturday's deal, they now have. One less asset, and instead have Trevor Ariza, which will soon probably be uh, nothing. And I mean, it's stuff. It's stuff where you know situations like in 2009, they had the number five pick, and they traded it for two uh, role rent rent a player role guys that they didn't sign long term, and they passed on someone like Steph Curry, and so they got n- virtually nothing out of that asset. You know, in 2011 with the number six pick, they took Jan Vesely, and they had s- some stars on the board like Kawhi Leonard and Clay Thompson. So that's a virtu- they virtually got nothing out of that asset because Jan Vesely is no longer in the league. Uh, in in 2011 at 18, they took Chris Singleton with Jimmy Butler, Kenneth Reed, Tobias Harris, Corey jo- Joseph, um, Miritic on the board, um, and he was waived after the two seasons, no longer in the league. So that's that's a, a failure of an asset. I mean, a lot of these has been have been later picks, um, but in 2016 again they picked in the lottery at 14. They traded the pick for Markeith Morris. Um, um, and and they and now Markeith is no longer on the team, and he was good while he was with them, but they lost out on that asset. And so when you kind of look through all this, it's just a terrible ten, terrible draft record tenure. It's just consistently not getting value, no matter where you where they are in the draft. Um, they're not making the best. They're not making great plays in free agency and deal wise, and and that that's that's tough. I mean, because of all that, you get this situation where. Um, we're looking at you get what they are. You know, they're they're a team that's kind of in a tough cap situation. We it looks like they've reached their ceiling. We're not sure what else they have left, and they don't have the assets to continue to improve. And the GM is openly just saying like, I'm going to give away good assets for in exchange for short term players and and fix it and fix now players or or get me to the end of the season players, not get me through the next couple season players and. Um, I would I would I would double down on saying that if if the Wizards are serious about you know improving getting themselves on the right path I think Grunfeld has got to be the the first casualty and the first uh, guy they move on from 
um, in order to make that happen. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see deals like this where he doesn't get as, as much for his assets or he openly doesn't um, or he openly, yeah, he, he's openly wasting assets. I mean, if this is the deal that the Suns came back with, even if you're that desperate for Ariza, you got to hold out for a, a, getting a third team in there like they had with the Grizzlies on Saturday, Friday night and getting at least two first, second round picks out of it as well. Like, you got to do something. I mean, Kelly Oubre was a, was, was, a, was a mid-first round pick that's had relatively good returns so far and has got a bright future. And you, you're just, you're packaging him with someone else for someone that you likely won't re-sign. It's, it's, it's just frustrating. Um, when you love basketball and, and want every team to be the best to just kind of see GMs consistently make uh, bad moves like this. And, you know, hopefully the Wizards bounce back out of it, but it, it doesn't look good for them, uh, especially if they continue to make moves like this. Uh, moving on to a kind of a happier note, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie uh, signed a three-year extension with the Nets worth $34 million, uh, and the third year is a player option. I love this deal. I'd love to see Dinwiddie get paid. He He's earned this for sure. He's been good this year. He's shooting 48% from the floor, 36% from three. Um, he's averaging 17-5 and five off the bench. Um, he's a solid uh, playmaker. He, he consistently finds his teammates. He's a pretty adept passer. He's a good finisher, um, making 60% of his shots in the paint. And his biggest thing is he's extremely consistent, especially for the Nets, who have D'Angelo Russell as their starting point guard. And while Russell has a ton of talent, he's very much a feast or famine guy who's inconsistent. And so having the consistency of Dinwiddie to back them up has kind of been key for their team. And Dinwiddie has just kind of blown up as this backup guy who can get buckets and lead the offense um, when they've needed him to, whether Russell's been injured or when they've just been bad and haven't been able to afford anyone else. So it's it's good to see Dinwiddie um, kind of get paid and get what he's worth um, and deserves because of his good play. Um, but the contract still works as a good deal for both sides because I think three years and $34 million for probably one of the better backup point guards in the league because uh, Dinwiddie is definitely talented enough to be a to be a solid mid-tier starter. Um, so thirty-four, so eleven million a year for someone of his skill level is a good deal for the for the Nets. But on Dinwiddie's side, um, this with the third year as a play as the play as a player option, you know if his value skyrockets over the next couple of years, he can get out of the deal a year early, get back into the free agency a year early, um, and make some more money. Um, he's twenty-five this season, so that means he'll, this deal ha- takes him through his twenty-six and twenty-seven seasons. Uh, for sure, and then he'll have a chance to move on if he wants, if he thinks he needs to get another longer-term deal um, when he's 28 rather than waiting and entering free agency as a 29-year-old just because of given the age curve. Um, So this deal looks really good for both teams. I think it's going to work out well. I do also think this contract kind of makes him tradable. I don't think that's something that the Nets are going to look at, but if worse comes to worse and they think they need to package Dinwiddie in a trade to kind of get a better asset or get a better player... Um, or improve. I think they can certainly do that with this, with this, with him at this number. Um, even put him in a pra- pack package to get like a star or something. I think a team would be more than happy to get Dinwiddie at this number. Um, I certainly would love to see him on a variety of teams. I would love to see him run um, starting point at this rate uh, for the Heat with with um, Goran injured. But he, he's he could fit with multiple teams, and he's certainly earned this contract. But both sides kind of found a way into a deal that makes sense for everyone involved and is beneficial for everyone involved. And and, and that's good. It's, it's great to see uh, the Nets being smart um, as a team and signing a guy to a good contract, but also seeing a, a, a good guy who's kind of been undervalued uh, finally get what he's worth um, in the market and also set himself up for the future that if he continues to play well, he can, um, he can continue to further 
improve his market value and get better contracts and kind of take care of himself and his family as he deserves to. It's just just nice to see um, it work out well in this way. Uh, the next big piece of news has been uh, the kind of the Bulls chaos. We didn't get to talk about a ton of their mess last week, so I wanted to kind of go over it this week, um, along with the fact that it looks like Jabari Parker isn't going to be out of the rotation soon, and the Bulls are actively looking for a trade for him. Um, Jabari has historically been a bad defender, um, and he's been quoted as saying basically something along those lines of, you don't get a big contract for playing defense, and I don't get paid to play defense and all this stuff. He's admittedly not good at defense, and it doesn't seem uh, committed to getting better um, but on top of that, he hasn't been great offensively. His efficiency is down this year. He's averaging career lows in field goal percentage at 46% and three-point percentage at 29%. Um, and he's just not looked great on the floor. He consistently gets embarrassed on a nightly basis defensively um, and doesn't nearly make up for it enough offensively. And with the Bulls where they're at, now they're not good this year, and we're going to talk more about their chaos in a second, but they are looking to grow to the future. Wendell Carter does look good. Zach Levine has um, emerged as a solid scorer, and Lowry Markinen is has been a, was a really good as a rookie and is just coming back from injury and looking better and looking just as good, um, if not better, so far this year. And having kind of an albatross, twenty million dollars um, um, committed to a guy in Jabari Parker who's not efficient. Uh, doesn't seem like he's improving anymore and is just not committed to defense. It's probably not a good long-term strategy for them. Obviously, Jabari's from Chicago, and that's part of the reason they brought him in um, and wanted to give him a chance, but it doesn't look like it's working out. And so it makes sense for them to kind of set themselves up to kind of to move on. Um, he's, his deal is only a two-year deal. The second year is a team option, so he is more friendly for trades, and I'm sure there are teams that would be interested in him trying to rehab his value, trying to rehab how he plays, and kind of see if they can convince him uh, to be a little bit better, to commit a little bit more to the defensive end. Um, might have a better position for him just because uh, with Lowry and Wendell Carter as kind of your front court uh, duo, it's hard to play Jabari at the three. He can't guard. He he can't guard in general, but guarding threes is an even worse situation for him than kind of trying to guard fours. Um, and he definitely seems like the guy who wouldn't be satisfied uh, coming off the bench. But we'll see what the Bulls uh, can do with him uh, going forward, and if they can have um, if they can have any more. Uh, success or can kind of move him to improve their team and get some kind of asset out of him. But transitioning from the Jabari situation, I did want to talk about the Jim Boylan, um, all the Jim Boylan drama. It kind of happened uh, early this past week, but I th- thought it was worth giving an opinion on just because of uh, my experience and what I've been through in that. So Boylan came in after Fred Hoiberg was fired and wanted to get immediately into this kind of nitty gritty, I'm a tough guy, we're going to do tough guy stuff super long practices like three-hour practices that featured like push-ups and suicides they had a home back-to-back which I, which is is important so they weren't traveling and then he wanted to have a tough practice after a home back-to-back because they got embarrassed by 50 uh, by the celtics on their home floor he started impro- employing hoppy hockey slash platoon subs where he took all five guys out at once and put five new guys in and was just and and kind of defended his actions like oh well Popovich did these platoon subs and we need to get tougher and he, he kind of seemed to forgot the idea that you know what you're Jim Boylan you haven't won anything you're not Greg Popovich you don't really get to you don't have this kind of latitude to make these crazy uh, coaching decisions and moves um, when you haven't really earned that yet and um I thought there was a lot of talk about this I mean it, it this came to a head because prior to the long practice after their back to back apparently. A lot of guys on the team and in the locker room did not want to come to practice or wanted to show up and walk out, but instead they decided they kind of cooler heads, apparently uh, Robin Lopez and Lowry Markinen kind of prevailed and 
uh, convincing the team to come, you know, have a players only meeting, tell the management how they felt about the coaching situation. And then apparently they've now set up this like leadership group of like the, the, the leadership uh, players to kind of make sure that there's open lines of communication and they can find a working relationship with Jim Boylan, Boylan um, and kind of figure that out. But still they pushed back. They were very close to mutiny. And, and what I saw a lot of from this is a lot of kind of a lot of the media and especially guys, uh, specifically some guys I saw like Chris Mannix and Bobby Marks immediately taking Boylan's side in this, being like, oh, the players don't need to come to work. It's, it was a home back-to-back. You didn't even travel. That's nothing. Like, you should be practicing anyway. It's not like he was asking you to get up at 3 a.m. This is your jo- this is your job, stuff like this. And I think, yes, you, they are correct um, in that it is the player's job to come and do practice and, and play games and get better. I think what they're missing is uh, that this is not a JV high school team, and um, having four-hour practices or three-hour practices after back-to-backs um, or like instilling toughness by suicides um, is not what you want to do for an NBA team. Um, never mind the fact that, I mean, just to start with, um, there's been a lot of research. Um, there's a lot better ways to get conditioned rather than just running suicides. Um, running suicides doesn't really build tough toughness. Um, not from what I've seen, it kind of more builds resentment. Like every, all these guys, they're in shape. Like they can run suicides. Do they need to run suicides repeatedly? Not really. And they're beginning paid millions of dollars, so they're probably not going to put up with that. That doesn't mean they're lazy or they don't want to practice. They don't want to do their job. But you can do drills and get better in basketball and improve your skill level while also doing drills, while doing while at the same time improving your conditioning level for drills that do involve running and involve stuff like that. Um, and on top of that, the whole three-hour practice thing, I think a lot of coaches probably still do that. We, we certainly had... Um, many three-hour practices while I was at Auburn, and I think what's interesting is there's a pretty large amount of of research and information out there that says kind of once you tick past like an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes, you get into this zone of diminishing returns where for every extra minute you practice, you lose more than you gain, and so this idea that like, oh, three-hour practice, just really get in there and put your work in and just tough it out, that's, that's, that's this kind of mythos that we've built up that doesn't really apply when you're in there for too long and you're practicing for three and four hours the players are gonna are gonna um, zone out you're gonna lose more than you gain when it comes to fatigue and stuff and it's just not worth it and so i think the old school idea of like oh we're gonna come and we're gonna run hard and we're gonna just practice super long and it's a very an old school mentality and while yeah these nba players have the ability to do that these are adults. They get paid millions of dollars. They have lives. This is their job. But like, your job as a coach is to improve your team, but also be you know efficient about it and make the right decisions and and build practices that's that are going to be the best for the team. If you're building a three hour practices three hour practice that's got like an hour of toughness conditioning or whatever you want to call it in there, you're not going to gain that much. You're not going to you know it's what's going to happen is exactly what's happened the players are going to get mad there's going to be fracturing and and that's the issue we're going to have i think i was disappointed to see so many people in the media immediately back up the coach um i don't have playing experience i didn't play on a college team but i was around the college guys enough and for guys like chris mannix who's covers nba and is around the nba all the time or bobby marks who you know he might have not been a great assistant gm um he's he's the architect of that nets uh trade with boston that was just a, a, a massive failure they've you would expect because of how much time they've spent around athletes throughout their career, they would kind of understand the psyche of athletes and understand that this is not going to go over well. This is also not going to work. It's not like 
the players didn't want to do something that was going to really like improve the team and make sure the Bulls never lost by 50 again. There's more than enough information to suggest that was probably not going to be the case. You were just going to make them more tired, and then they were going to come out the next game flat, um, and their skill level wasn't going to improve. And so, I don't know, it's just kind of bonkers to me to kind of see stuff like this happen and see so many people rush to defend the coach kind of being crazy. Like, Jim Boylan very well could be a great coach. Greg Popovich has gone to bat for him. But, like, to open your coaching tenure by just taking a bunch of old-school ideas that we know don't work and just being like, we're going to do these because... Yes, because I'm the coach and that's what happens. It's it's just kind of a failure. And like the fact that Garpacks are behind him and they couldn't see that this could be an issue and they're still behind him is just shows that kind of their level, their, you know, their level of, I want to, don't want to say gross incompetence, but they're just kind of trouble kind of figuring out their team or having the pulse of their team. And I, I just find it frustrating. Like these players, these players want to play this game. They love basketball. Um, they get paid to play this game, but these, these aren't lazy players. Like they're not, they're not just going to sit around and do nothing. They're not, they're not avoiding work for a bad reason or not coming into practice because like they're like stuck up or whatever. They're not coming into practice because this is an absurd thing. You don't, it's not like they don't they don't want to do the work. It's that Jim Boylan is suggesting work that isn't going to help, and then it be, it's it's a waste of time, is what he's suggesting. They're going to come in and do their work. They want to come in and do skill work. They want to come in and work on their conditioning. They want to come in and stay in shape. They want to win basketball games. They don't want to be embarrassed on a nightly basis. It's not like the players are going out there with the with the goal of being embarrassed. No one wants to do that. But when you make it this dichotomy of like, oh my way in the highway, but my way doesn't make any sense. The players are going to see through that and understand that they're not idiots. And then. We get this situation where there's a blow up, you know. There's a leadership council that has to be put together, um, and it's it's just kind of quite the fiasco, um, and something that I would I would hope most coaches avoid. And you know, when we have, you know, we talked about at the beginning, GM difficulties getting that trade together on Friday night. We have GMs backing a coach who doesn't seem to have all his ducks in a row. Um, it kind of just reminds me of the situation in that basketball is one of many industries where. We don't necessarily have all the best people in, in the top positions. Um, I don't think the 30 NBA coaches are the 30 best basketball coaches living. Um, I don't think the 30 NBA GMs are the 30 best general managers living that could run basketball teams. They're just the guys that knew the most people and worked and got on the path up the ladder and found their way to the top. And um, episodes like this kind of prove that point um, to be true. But hopefully they move past this if Jim Boylan is the coach of the future for them. He kind of figures it out that, you know, three hour practices that are built on suicides and pushups might not be the best idea if you want to win basketball games. Um, and if that's really what he wants to do with his practice, then maybe, you know, try that at the JV high school level where like, that's actually a more commonplace thing and something that they're going to deal with. Not saying it's right at that level, but like it's going to go over better at that level versus, you know, in the NBA where these guys are going to stand for that because they know that's not a good use of their time. Uh, to finish up the podcast, I just kind of want to talk about a team to watch uh, for the week. Um, I kind of want to try and start doing a thing, whether it be at the end or the middle of the podcast, where I talk about a team or a player to watch or maybe even a matchup to watch, like one game that kind of flies under the radar a little bit. Um, the team to watch I have this week uh, is the Pacers. They've got a four-game week. Uh, they got the Knicks tonight, Cleveland on Tuesday. They're at the Raptors on Wednesday on a back-to-back, so hopefully that would be a good game, but with the back-to-back situation, it might not be that good. Um, and then the Nets on Friday. Uh, they've got six straight wins, or eight and two in their last ten since November twenty sixth. Um, over that span, they've had a, they've had the second best net rating in the league behind just just only Boston, who was on like an eight or nine game win streak until the other night where they lost. Um, their net rating has been ten point two, which is second. Um, they've had the number two defense in the league, also behind Boston at one hundred point four. 
and what's been most impressive uh, for me about this streak is it's largely been without Oladipo. Um, he's only played in the last two wins. He hadn't he hadn't played for the entirety of the streak before then. Uh, Demontis Sabonis kind of continues to be hyper efficient and just kind of dominant in the paint off the bench. Um, since November twenty sixth, they they boast the best defensive turnover rate. They're overturning they're turning over opposing offenses at uh, a hair over over eighteen percent of the time, which is really good. Um, that's kind of one of the things that fueled some other defenses like the. Uh, defenses to start the year and that's that's a uh, number that can be more variable and will and is likely hyperinflated and, and will come down but still the pages are worth watching um they're right there in it in the eastern conference they're tough they're gonna play hard every night and and they're gonna they're gonna bring that competition level up consistently and, and definitely with four games this week uh definitely a good chance to kind of catch them um ideally i would say uh the raptors game if they're at full strength and they can really bring it even though it's a back-to-back or the nets game the nets game should also be competitive but if you just want to see him beat uh, beat someone down, turn into them against the Knicks tonight or Cleveland on Tuesday. Uh, that'll wrap the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, continue to you know rate, review, subscribe, share, um, and kind of get the word out there on what we're doing here at Tickle the Twine. And I'll talk to you guys next week.